0: I have found Outbeat News In-Depth for you.
1: Good evening and welcome to this month's edition of Outbeat News In-Depth. I'm Greg Moralia. Well, Last month we talked about the main gains 2003 brought to the LGBT civil rights movement. And the tide in this country is certainly moving quickly in the right direction. But in other parts of the world a tide of equal or greater force is moving in the opposite direction. LGBT people in countries like India, Nigeria, Uganda, and Russia are being persecuted by a growing number of anti-LGBT laws. These human rights concerns will certainly be in the mix during the upcoming Winter Olympics in Sochi, Russia, a country where LGBT people right now can't even fly a rainbow flag in public and who are facing pending legislation that will allow the government to take children away from LGBT parents. We begin tonight talking with Ryan Olson, an LGBT activist who's been doing a lot of work in Africa and has seen firsthand the oppression happening in countries like Nigeria, Kenya, and Uganda. And in the second half of the show, we'll take a look at Time Magazine's and the Advocates Magazine 2013 Man of the Year, Pope Francis. Francis D. Bernardo, who's the Executive Director of New Ways Ministry, will be on to talk about LGBT people, the Catholic Church, and the potential for change under the leadership of this new pope. All of this is coming up next, right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, January 26, 2013.
0: I have found Outbeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond.
1: Rev. Dr. Thomas Ogletree, a United Methodist minister and former dean of Yale Divinity, will be tried by a church council because he officiated at his son's same-sex marriage back in October 2012, thus breaking rules that bar Methodist clergy from blessing same-sex unions. The trial will take place this coming March 10th at a church in Stamford, Connecticut. Ogletree said he could not refuse his son's request to conduct the wedding, which was announced in the New York Times vows section. Ogletree said, quote, I could not with any integrity as a Christian refuse my son's request to preside at his wedding. It is a shame that the church is choosing to persecute me for this act of love, which is entirely in keeping with my ordination vows to seek peace, justice, and freedom for all. The United Methodist Church is the second largest Protestant denomination in the United States, with some 7.5 million members in the nation. And in Florida, a high school senior who had turned to gay porn as a source of revenue to help his mom was suspended from school for creating a campus disturbance. Robert Marucci, an 18-year-old who attends Cocoa High School in Brevard County, Florida, did five scenes for gay porn producer Sean Cody under the name Noel in 2003. After several national news sources picked up on the story and Marucci's schoolmates spoke out on social media in an effort to get him reinstated, school officials reversed their decision and allowed Marucci to return to school earlier this week. The administrators now say Marucci's porn work never was the reason for the suspension. Cocoa High School spokesman Michelle Irwin said, quote, the school would never suspend a student for a job or job-related activity. But Marucci's mother remembers things differently. She told reporters that her son was expelled, not just suspended, and that he was expelled due to his explicit adult lifestyle career. Marucci said, I did this to help my mother out, to get us in a better economic level. School officials declined to provide an alternative reason for Marucci's suspension, citing privacy laws. And here in California, Assembly Majority Leader Tony Atkins of San Diego has been chosen by her Assembly Democratic colleagues to succeed Assembly Speaker John Perez as the next Speaker of the Assembly. Atkins represents a coastal San Diego district and was elected to the Assembly in 2010 following eight years on the San Diego City Council. With her selection as Speaker, Atkins becomes only the second Democratic woman and second member of the LGBT community to hold the post. Atkins says, I'm humbled, grateful, and ready to get to work. From the drought we're experiencing to ensuring a healthy business climate and a world-class educational system, California is facing important issues in the near future. I look forward to leading the State Assembly and working with the Senate and the Governor to meet our challenges and to move our great state forward. I thank my Assembly colleagues for their vote of confidence and support. And here locally, Sonoma County Veteran Services is reaching out to the Sonoma County LGBT community to ensure that all people who serve in the military are aware of and are receiving benefits they could earn through service to our nation. With last summer's decision by the Supreme Court recognizing same-sex marriage, the agency has successfully assisted a number of vets who have service-connected disabilities to add their same-sex spouse to their VA award. The agency wants to encourage all members of the LGBT community who served in the military to call and schedule an appointment to review potential benefits with their staff. Potential benefits include enrollment in the VA health care system, monetary compensation for disabilities related to military service, non-service-connected disability pensions, and many more. Additionally, people who were discharged from the military based on their sexuality when Don't Ask, Don't Tell was in effect may be able to have their discharge either upgraded to an honorable status or have certain information removed from the original discharge documents. You can learn more about all of these benefits by calling 707-565-5960. That's 565-5960. Now, here's your calendar of events for the coming week. On Monday, January 27th at 5.30 p.m., the Petaluma Health Center will host an LGBT support group at 1179 North McDowell Boulevard in Petaluma. And also on Monday at 7 p.m., the Parents of Transgender Youth Support Group will meet at Positive Images 312 Chin Street in Santa Rosa. On Saturday, February 1st, Food for Thought, the Sonoma County AIDS Food Bank, will conduct a food drive at the Lucky on Bicentennial in Santa Rosa and the Safeway in Guerneville and Oliver's in Rincon Valley. And also this coming Saturday, We've Got the Beat Dance Party will happen at Wesman Hall, 465 Morris Street in Sebastopol. The event is being hosted by Redwood Rainbows and Out West Dance Clubs. DJ Joy will spin everything danceable from the 80s. There will be prizes for the best 80s wear and a 50-50 cash raffle. Cover charge is $10. For more information about local LGBT events happening here in the North Bay, go to GaySonoma.com. And if you have news or an event you'd like to share with our listeners, be sure to tell us about it by going to our own website at OutBeatNews.com. And be sure to follow us all week long on Facebook and Twitter for the latest LGBT news and information from here in the North Bay and beyond. For Gary Carnavelli, I'm Greg Moraglia.
0: OutBeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond.
2: What if I told you that you could get peace of mind in just 20 minutes, and it's free? If you've ever wondered if you contracted HIV and aren't sure, you can get tested for free, confidentially, and anonymously with results in just 20 minutes. Call face-to-face at 544-1581 or visit f2f.org. Face-to-face, ending AIDS in Sonoma County, 20 minutes at a time.
1: In late December, the Ugandan legislature voted on a new law that first proposed to make homosexuality punishable by death. This is the bill we've been talking about here on Outbeat Radio News for the last couple of years. World leaders, including President Obama, have spoken out against this law, but despite the outcry, the Uganda legislature passed a watered-down version of this law late December that makes aggravated homosexuality punishable by life in prison. Here's CNN's Arwa Damon with more.
0: The 2010 tabloid banner read, hang them. David Cato told CNN then he knew he was in danger. So I was on the newspapers. So the landlord said, ah, the villagers want to set my house ablaze. They want to ban my house. Homophobia in this deeply conservative Christian nation is rabid. David's mother says she didn't know he was gay until he was murdered. I would condemn him, she responds. I would hate him but I would counsel him. She, too, stigmatized by his sexuality and did not want us to visit her at home. The community keeps accusing me that I bring whites to promote homosexuality among the children, she tells us. The irony, gay rights activists say, is that it was a small group of American evangelicals who came to Uganda speaking out against homosexuality, which was already illegal, that really took the persecution of the LGBT community to a new level. Some friends... Kasha Nabagesera is one of the few gay activists to speak out in public. So they went to parliament and advised them to change the law. They went to universities and told students that uh, we are recruiting them into homosexuality, that we have a lot of money, that they should be careful. Then they went to parents and told them that we are recruiting their children. The first draft of an anti-homosexuality bill she recalls, introduced in 2009, included the death penalty. On December 20th, the bill was unexpectedly brought to parliament and passed. The president can still veto that decision, something that various global leaders and international human rights organizations have urged him to do. But even if the president doesn't sign off on it, parliament can still eventually override that decision. The new version replaces the death penalty for certain homosexual acts with life in prison and makes simply being viewed as promoting homosexuality a crime that could land someone in jail. Now parliament processes all these amendments. David Bahati is the architect. So is your aim to eradicate homosexuality completely by forcing people to stay silent or face a prison sentence? Well, the aim is to make sure that we do uh, protect the institution of marriage and uh, stopping the promotion of uh, homosexuality but in in our country. If in the process that is achieved, uh, that will be good for our society. That homosexuality be eradicated from that society? That will be good for our society. Do you respect other religions, an individual's right to practice another religion other than Christianity? Yes. So why can't you respect another individual's differing sexual orientation? Oh, well, I don't think that uh, homosexuality is a human right. Now the LGBT community fears it will become the target of an even broader witch hunt. Arwadayman Sianan, Kampala.
1: And earlier this month, a similar law was passed in Nigeria, that makes same-sex marriage and homosexual acts a crime punishable in prison for 14 years. Almost immediately, Nigerian police made numerous arrests of known homosexuals in their country, and at least two gay men have been lashed with whips in public. The ramifications of these laws are widespread, including dramatically hindering the efforts to treat and prevent HIV infections. Here to tell us more about what's happening in Africa and who's involved here from the United States in promoting these oppressive laws is our good friend and Washington, D.C. correspondent, Ryan Olson. Ryan, welcome back and thanks for being with us
3: tonight. Thanks for having me, Greg.
1: Tell us about the organization you're working for now and some of the work that you're doing.
3: Um, Well, I uh, work for a few organizations, but the main one that I work for is a a development firm that's the subcontractor of USAID, and we work in HIV, AIDS, and reproductive health throughout the world, um, specifically related to the policy components uh, related to HIV and um, reproductive health. So most people think of policy as the high-level P, where people are making legislation, and there's all these laws and regulations that are put in place, but policy really happens all the way up from the very top where they're making laws and regulations but all the way down to the governing um, rules and regulations and guidelines and principles of local NGOs and organizations. So we really work with a wide range of individuals and um, given the HIV AIDS and reproductive health world we work a lot with women's groups with LGBT groups um, specifically on men who have sex with men transgender people. We work with pe- people who inject drugs as well well as sex workers and other people living with HIV. So it's a wide swath of people, government officials, NGO leaders, et cetera, et cetera. But basically, that's uh, the gamut of the work that I do.
1: And not just here in the U.S. You've traveled to Africa a couple of times, and uh, that's really one of the areas of the world we're talking about tonight. Tell us about some of the places you've been in Africa and some of the work you've done there.
3: Yeah, my company has done um, work all over the does work all over the world. We have approximately seventy three offices all everywhere, um, and um, my primary focus uh, has been in both the Caribbean and throughout sub Saharan Africa, um, primarily uh, working in different activities that have been funded by the U.S. government. Um, and so for me, um, well, I've been supporting a number of the roles that we've been doing. Um, my one of the roles that I was supporting was an analysis of the HIV policy landscape in Kenya um, that's been an interesting um, work so far to kind of uncover what are the laws doing and how are they supporting or not supporting people living with HIV or um, people who are most impacted by HIV such as men who have sex with men etc. Um, I also traveled to Ghana um, to work with their commission on human rights where they are um, having, they have a reporting system for people who have their human Human rights uh, uh, violated, whether from a landlord kicking a transgender person out, or a, a police person using um, more force than necessary with a, a sex worker, or even a, a man who, a male who has sex with men, mm. a man a man who has sex with a man um, in like an education setting. So um, it's been an interesting experience. Um, I've also done other work outside of my immediate job in throughout the continent, but it's given me quite a a purview on what the landscape is for people who are of of varying gender and sexual minority statuses. Mm. So
1: Africa, I think is a really interesting continent because it's so varied in its acceptance and lack of acceptance of LGBT folks. You know, South Africa is very progressive and yet country like Uganda is just regressing rapidly by the minute. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that, to me, is, is very, very interesting. At the, the end of 2013, Ugandan government passed a new law that makes aggravated homosexuality punishable by life in prison. And of course, this is the bill that was originally proposed uh, to, to impose the death penalty on
3: someone who's gay. It's called Kill the, Gil- Kill the Gays Bill.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, th- it's, such a, it's such a regression in terms of what's happening in the rest of the world. What's your take on this and and what you've seen in Africa?
3: Well, what's interesting is that I think uh, it uh, it gets a lot of play, and in the last few years, when all of this was happening, this is when uh, this issue became quite a global uh, a, a global issue. You know, everybody was worried about Uganda and how could they do this. And in many ways, this is horrible. It's a horrible thing to even consider. I mean, if you think about just the idea of um, not only just punishing someone for the simple act of being gay, but then punishing anyone who knew a person who was an LGBT person and didn't turn them in within forty eight hours, uh, any materials, any educational pieces, um, any association whatsoever would have been, um, you know, criminalized, and so. Um, it's, it was really disappointing to watch this unfold over the last few years in Uganda, especially given that the Ugandan people in general are an incredibly loving and caring um, cohort of people. You know? mm-hmm. So um, it was definitely a shock. And at the same time, um, uh, it was through the tides of the religious uh, movements that have been taking place throughout the continent, um, it's, it wasn't as surprising as it might seem, you know? And so, um, it's, it's definitely disappointing. Um, but at the same time, uh, it's also something to be wary of, you know, and not necessarily taken for granted, but right. also taken as a pulse in the overall movements that are happening everywhere.
1: Right. So. And, and so talk about religion a little bit, you know, what, what's your take on how much Western conservative Christian religions had, what type of impact did they have, or what type of influence did they have in getting this law passed in Uganda?
3: Well, I think as I was referring to earlier, there's a, a an incredible movement taking place throughout the continent of Africa, especially in sub-Saharan Africa, and it, it stems largely from evangelical Christians who have come from the United States and elsewhere to proselytize to the quote unquote savages in uh, in the con- in the continent. Unfortunately, uh, um, in largely in the U.S., we have this unfortunate view of Africans uh, in a way that doesn't really respect their humanity and their dignity or their abilities to fully be valued as equals mm-hmm. <laughs> in our society, right? And so um, we've had these uh, um, pastors for decades, decades, going over and trying to save them from their eternal damnation. And as a part of that, um we have been we have developed what's called a proxy war of our religious arguments here in the United States, where they are not being successful. Here they're starting; they've gained a lot of traction over uh, on the continent. So we we re- re- referenced Uganda prior um, in the last question, but it's happening all over from Nigeria to Zambia to Mozambique to Mali, also all over. And these uh, evangelical Christians are going over there and. They're building schools, they're building churches, they're building hospitals, Um, uh, they're doing all sorts of uh, great programs, and and it's not to knock these programs, but at the same time they are developing and uh, evolving attitudes and opinions, much of which are uh, anti-gay, anti-women, anti-choice, and so um, they've rallied up support um, in places like Uganda where they actually work with parliamentarians. To develop bills that criminalize these very communities in which they are supposedly against, even though throughout Africa, homosexuality, uh, gender diversity, gender identity issues, et cetera, et cetera, have played themselves out for eons. <laughs> I don't know how sure. long America, uh, people have been alive. So it's just, uh, it's it's it's. I don't want to say that it's completely evangelical Christians that have done this, um, because I don't want to take away the agency of the local Africans who also have the agency to make decisions on their own. But at the same time, I believe those individual Africans have been strongly swayed by the power of the evangelical church coming right out of the United States. So
1: tragic. And are you have you seen the same kinds of, of efforts or movements or change in thought in some of the other countries you visited there?
3: Yes, actually. Um. So I've worked in, uh, all, well, in other countries I've visited there. Um, well, um, like Kenya, for example, has a strong evangelical movement, which is uh, uh, especially, and, and not even just evangelical Christian, but um, strongly um, Muslim, uh, out on the coast of Kenya, where they actually, uh, the one thing that brought together the Muslims and the Christians were being anti-gay. So they actually had a mob um, that w- went after this gay couple who was rumored to Get, have gotten married, and they were they were almost beaten to death. Unfortunately, fortunately, the Kenyan police stepped in at the last minute, and then the other um, place in Nigeria. Um, where they just recently also passed an anti-gay marriage bill, um, was the the rallying cry was uh, be, was the the culminating point was when the Christians and the Muslims could finally agree on something, and that was that they didn't want the gays there. So, yes, I've definitely seen it throughout the continent. And um, while we're hearing about Uganda now, while we're hearing about Nigeria now, there's a lot of other countries that are going through the same thing that we're not hearing on an international level and don't know about, such as Zambia and. Um, Um, In places like Cameroon, in Cameroon, one of the lead LGBT activists was actually murdered within the last six months or so um, based on his work. Mm. And the Cameroonian government refuses to um, look into it as anything other than a petty theft or a crime because they know all about what the activities were. And, And so it's little things like that that take place all over that nobody really hears about. Let alone all the the kids and young people that get kicked out of their homes, the gay couples that are denied their full rights, et cetera, et cetera. So.
1: So how have you seen the visibility of gay people change in the trips that you've made over there? Are people going into hiding?
3: Um, well, and I, and that's the hard part about doing this work is that you don't want to paint a picture where there aren't uh, fully capable LGBT populations either. You know, So the environment itself has been been hostile for sure, and it's not something that can be taken lightly. At the same time, there are brave individuals, including individuals that I think are braver than any other individuals I've ever personally met, who are standing up for themselves, who are creating social communities where LGBT people can come together where they can fight for their rights and talk about their dignity, and it doesn't mean that they don't face severe challenges, including from their own governments. But for the most part, there are there are so many people who are um, coming together around these issues and defending their rights as human beings. So, um, so it's it's not entirely underground, but there are large components of it that are underground. For instance, in my work in HIV, um, I work a lot with what's called we. Uh, we call it behaviorally, men who have sex with men. So a large phenomenon that takes place because of the hostile environment towards LGBT communities is that um, men who have sex with men will, um, you know, take care of their business on the side, but then take a wife and have children. And this is what's actually leading part of the HIV epidemic is that this takes place. So men will go home, go get infected with a sex worker or another man who has sex with men and then um, they'll go back to their wives and infect them and this is um, this is not I don't want to say it's typical but it it does happen and it's a a way that people are getting infected there so um, but then based on that the identity politic behind identifying as a gay man is a whole other nuance which a lot of people don't even understand at this point you know and there's not a rallying point for people to to be able to come out, mm-hmm. to be able to own it, to be able to talk about it, especially given that a lot of African cultures are based on family ties, you know, it's not necessarily as individualistic as the United States, but it really comes back to the communities. So in communities, people don't talk about their sexualities, let alone, do they talk about, you know, sex with people of the same gender, you know, mm-hmm. so, so want- it's, a, it's complex. I
1: have to imagine that as these laws get passed and people feel more repressed and and more uh, pressure to hide who they are, that the rate of infections are going to go up. Um, are there educational programs there around HIV and STI prevention? And if not, what do you see happening in the future?
3: Um, well, there's actually been uh, there's actually quite a lot of uh, education that's been taking place through uh, development firms, local NGOs, and even governments have been supporting it. It's 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 an interesting um, petri dish, if you will, um, where all of this takes place because you on the one hand, you have some governments that are actually against, have laws on the books criminalizing homosexuality, and yet those same governments will also be very supportive of uh, public health laws which support uh, the education of individuals that include um, homosexuality. So, you know, it's a very complex issue. Um, uh, and HIV is all around the world and so Africa is not alone in terms of its um, its infection rates, etc. In fact, it's funny because right here in the United States in Washington, D.C., it actually has higher rates of infection than parts of some of the worst countries in Africa hmm. um, um, and then if you think about the HIV epidemic, there's uh, it's you can split it into two components countries are defined in this way there's either a mixed epidemic where it's Uh, It's everyone in the society, so it's not anyone in particular, but everyone is kind of at risk uh, based on certain factors. But then there's also... um, what's called a, you know, it's a concentrated epidemic. And the concentrated epidemics are amongst certain populations, and what I work on is those concentrated spaces where we largely identify men who have sex with men, sex workers, people who inject drugs, and transgender individuals as being most at risk for contracting HIV. That doesn't mean they're the only people that have it, but that because in certain countries, the epidemic has been kind of dealt with on a larger scale, there's still some communities that are, have been left out of the overall educational pieces. And so in these countries, there still remains a concentrated epidemic. And so, um, yes, there are all sorts of programs, all sorts of STI prevention and education, um, policy, landscaping, address addressing all sorts of things. So um, there's a ton of things going on. And and, uh, and uh, the new millennial goal is to get HIV to zero, so zero new infections. And so uh, part of that is actually addressing MSM and transgender people and all sorts of mm-hmm. other populations. So,
1: Talk about how you see what happened in Uganda connected with the regressive ideas in India and, of course, in Russia.
4: Well,
3: throughout the world, um, you know, there are there's just taboos and um, misunderstandings surrounding one's sexuality, and when you get these uh, uh, these countries and spaces that are built largely on um, religious aspects or conservative notions from uh, that are built on ages, age old ideas stemming from colonialism, you know, you get you get the re- these resulting factors, right? So in India, they were colonized all, uh, over 100 years ago, and but they still had their penal code on the books. It's the same in Uganda, it's the same in Kenya. And so um, these relics uh, still exist just based on the taboo of homosexuality. And Uganda and, and India are quite different in terms of their um, their homophobia, it's its different kind of complexes So Uganda is more religiously based and uh, I th- Based on Christianity and the influence of evangelicals Whereas India, its I think it's more around cultural taboo And sexuality type of things mm-hmm. um, So then you tie it to Russia Russia is a hyper-masculine kind of society It's very, built on a patriarchal um, structure And so um, the idea of uh, homosexuality is really the idea of being anti-male or anti-man and 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 being effeminate, right? Mm-hmm. So you want to weed out these individuals who don't represent what your cultural ideal is. And so there's just a, some backlash based on the the progress that's really been mm-hmm. made throughout the world in other parts uh, for LGBT human rights and dignity. so
1: And it feels like, You know, every time a state provides same-sex marriage or there's some big story about that, that that's seen as a threat and as an increase in fear uh, for some of these countries—
3: well and beyond that it seems like it's almost a it's a western thing so it almost becomes an anti-western thing that it does become an even an anti-gay thing it's like we want to do whatever they're do we want to do the opposite of what those people are doing Mm -hmm. because we don't like them you know what i mean so i mean homosexuality has existed in every culture and every society since the dawn of man so it's it's not that it's not present it's more that it's um, it's a political thing. It's a cultural thing. It's all sorts of things. So,
1: and so, how do people get involved? Where where would someone go to learn more about how to get involved in some international issues?
3: Um, well, I think uh, the most important thing is just to pay attention to the news um, a, a, on a regular basis, being aware of what's happening in the rest of the world. Um, um, I think what's interesting about the LGBT identity politic is just that you know, um, you know, when you go around the world, uh, what are people talking? How are people talking about sexuality? How are they talking about gender diversity? But also not limiting ourselves to just LGBT issues, because so many of these issues from poverty. To um, you know, uh, f- uh, the, the food <laughs> to water to structural things like energy to power and economics—all these things—they're all so interrelated. And within those structures, all exist L- LGBT people, right? And so, the value of understanding and appreciating global diversity plays a huge impact in everything that takes place. So. Oh. So, for instance, if if Shell Oil is doing oil in some other part of the world and they have a spill, it's affecting LGBT people as much as it's affecting anybody else. And so not limiting our understanding of LGBTs to simply an identity, but identity. but to recognizing its intric- intricate nature and how it works itself into communities right so um, paying attention globally first of all is important to the gl- the very v- wide range of issues that are taking place but then beyond that if you want to go specifically into the LGBT part look for international LGBT organizations there's an organization based out of uh, Europe it's called the International Lesbian Gay Association there's also um, Eagle Herc which is based out of New York um those are some two of the main ones, um, but then there's also other organizations that are doing things locally and regionally that can be supported too, um, that you can search for, Google, all that stuff. And then, of course, participating in international actions such as the International Day Against Homophobia and Transphobia on May 17th is definitely a huge thing, and that can be done locally um, by raising awareness locally of what's happening internationally. So. So all of you can get involved.
1: Excellent, excellent. Well, Ryan, thanks so much for spending your Sunday night with us and giving us your view of what's happening in Africa. We'll keep our fingers crossed that, you know, maybe there'll be some change. I can't thank- imagine. I can't imagine living in an environment like that.
3: Yeah. Well, all over the world. <laughs> so. Great. So, but we'll make it better one day. So.
1: Well, thanks again for being with us. All right. Thank you, Greg. And we'll be back with more right after our music break. This is a group that I met actually in Palm Springs over New Year's this year. There are four guys who have come together to form a string quartet, and they call themselves Well Strung. And that was a group called Well Strung with Mozart meets Kelly Clarkson. If you'd like to learn more about this unique group, we'll have a link on our website at OutbeatNews.com. After tonight's show, just go log on, click on show notes at the top of the page, and you'll find the link right there. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Outbeat News In Depth on KRCB Windsor, Santa Rosa, the new 91. Well, as you heard in our last segment, religion and religious organizations have a major influence on LGBT people our communities, and our civil rights. Religion has been a powerful force on the LGBT community, both positive and negative. Traditional religions were really the genesis for early sodomy laws. Religious leaders have interpreted the Bible, the Torah, and the Quran in ways that condemn gay people in every way, from the denial of civil rights to, in some countries, death. The history of the Catholic Church and the LGBT community has been a challenging one to say the least. The church played a major role in California's Proposition 8 campaign. And during Pope Benedict's reign, cardinals and bishops here in the United States were more outspoken, and Benedict himself said that gay people were less than fully developed humans. This kind of vitriolic speech causes many gay people to flee the church, and in some cases to abandon their faith altogether. But there's a new pope in town who has the world's attention, gay people included. Pope Francis was named Time Magazine's Person of the Year for 2013. The gay community's longest-running print news magazine, The Advocate, also named Pope Francis as their Man of the Year. And what has this new pope done to deserve all of these accolades? Well, here to talk about Pope Francis and where the Catholic Church might be headed related to the gay community is Mr. Francis DiBernardo, the Executive Director of New Ways Ministry, a gay-positive ministry of advocacy and justice for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender Catholics. Francis, welcome to Outbeat News in Depth.
5: Thanks, Greg. I'm glad to be here.
1: Well, we appreciate your time on this Sunday night. And before we get to talk about the new Pope, tell us a little bit about New Ways Ministry.
5: Well, New Ways Ministry is a a 37-year-old national Catholic ministry of justice and reconciliation for the LGBT community and and the Catholic Church. What we try to do is we attempt to build bridges of trust, respect— dialogue between these two groups who've mm-hmm. often been at odds uh, in their histories.
1: Right, that, that's for sure. And how is it different or similar or even connected at all with Dignity USA?
5: Well, um, we, we are very uh, connected to Dignity. Uh, where We partner with them on many projects. We're both part of a coalition called Equally Blessed, uh, of four Catholic organizations that work on LGBT issues, the other two being Call to Action and Fortunate Families. And our particular niche in this movement, of the gay Catholic movement, has been to primarily be educators. We um, strive to reach out to to mainstream Catholics and um, to help them understand the reality of LGBT lives, to help them understand how, how being a Catholic can inspire someone to reach out to LGBT people.
1: Hmm. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you've written a book about marriage equality in the Catholic faith. Tell us a little bit about that and, and what other things you've done.
5: Sure. Well, I've been working with New Ways Ministry since 1994, and I've been the executive director since 1996. And my background comes, I, I did a lot of work in church institutions before coming to New Ways Ministry. And I always prized my Catholic faith for being a faith that did justice. Mm. And back in the 1990s, I started realizing that. Um, that justice needed to be applied to lesbian gay people. So uh, New Ace Ministry was just a couple of miles from my house. So I started volunteering with them first for a couple of years and then took a part-time job that became a full-time job that really has become uh, the work of my life. (laughs) I never expected to be here 20 years later. But uh, what... One of the things that, that I've done recently that you alluded to is I um, wrote a book that New Race Ministry published called Marriage Equality, a Positive Catholic Approach. And I wrote this book because I wanted to get out the message that had been greatly underreported, which is that Catholics, Catholic people in the pews do support marriage equality. Actually, polls have been showing that Catholics um, are far ahead of the general American public in their support of marriage equality. Yet that isn't something that's very well known because what we often hear in the media as the Catholic view is the view of the bishops who oppose marriage equality. And and so it was important to get out the message uh, that Catholics support it as a way of empowering other Catholics who fe- who who didn't who felt they were alone, and and also to let politicians know that that the Catholic vote was behind marriage equality, you know, because a lot of politicians were afraid of losing Catholics as voters. So, we we set out to write the book. I set out to write the book, and you know, in in doing the research and you know, something that I had sort of assimilated over my years of working with New is that Catholics supported marriage equality because of being Catholic, not in spite of being Catholic. That it was their Catholic faith, their uh, their sense of the dignity of every human being, their sense that families needed to be protected, their sense of respecting Differences and respecting people even if you disagree with them, and protecting the rights of all people even if you disagree with them, uh, that motivated most Catholics to support marriage equality.
1: Hmm. But it seems like in the past couple of decades, church leadership, particularly Pope Benedict, has really become very vocal and very anti gay. Uh, yeah. What's your experience been, and and how has Rome received organizations like New Ways Ministry and Dignity USA and the others?
5: Mm-hmm. Well, I, as I as I mentioned in the uh, before, the the Catholic Church is is kind of schizophrenic right now when it comes to to marriage equality. The hierarchy thinks one way, but the laity think another. Um, in my experience of working at New Ways Ministry, I've, I've had a, a vet, you know, people often think that I, that I encounter, uh, you know, on a daily basis, I encounter all this negativity from the hierarchy, but in fact, it's just the opposite. I, I feel very privileged that I get to see and talk with Catholics in the pews, Catholics in, in Catholic schools and colleges and hospitals, um, all who are, who are doing wonderful work to uh, welcome lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender people into their communities. And um, there's, you know, we have on our website uh, a list of gay friendly Catholic parishes, which when we started making the list in 1997, we had 20 parishes, and now there's over 200. We have a list of gay friendly Catholic colleges, um, which includes almost two thirds of the Catholic colleges in the country. Um, you know colleges that that are doing wonderful programming for their for their lGBT students so um you know, I think what we're seeing is that you know the middle managers and by middle managers, I mean the pastors. The uh, heads of colleges, uh, people working in schools, people working in parishes, the the middle managers and the people in the pews are really uh, turning out to be very supportive of of LGBT people.
1: So let's talk about the new boss, the new Pope, Pope Francis. Uh He's the first Jesuit and non-European to have been elected Pope. Uh, You know, how significant... Are those differences from his predecessors?
5: Mm-hmm. I think they're very significant. Um, I think one, uh, because he is a member of a religious order, I think he has a more communitarian approach to church issues rather than a hierarchical approach, because he lives in he's lived his life in community in consultation with other Jesuits uh, rather than a diocesan priest who's responsible to the bishop in a, in a hierarchical relationship. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. Second, that he's a Jesuit, uh, a particular kind of religious order, and the Jesuits have always been more social justice oriented than almost anyone else uh, in the church. They've always been concerned about problems of the world, of, the, of real people, and and less concerned with, with insular uh, Catholic issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally, you know, uh, the fact that he's from Latin America, you know, Latin America since the 1970s has seen uh, a wonderful rejuvenation of the church with the theology of liberation, a theology which emphasizes uh, freedom and emphasizes people taking control of their lives. It's been a church of the poor and a church of of the people, and that's the church that he comes from.
1: And And he's made several statements that would suggest that he's really less focused on LGBT issues, among other things. Uh, what have you heard him say that's giving you some signs that the church might be changing?
5: Well, the two most—I've heard him say—I mean, there have been many things over the past uh, nine months. Uh, But I think that there are probably two statements that are more important than any of the others. Uh, And the first one is his statement at the end of July, Who am I to judge? That simple five-word sentence has become a touchstone for so many people about a new attitude in the Church. You know, if, if the Pope can't judge, who, who, will, <laughs> who, should, who should be allowed mm-hmm. to judge? I mean, that shows the respect for the human being, uh, a respect for human experience that we have not seen coming from the papacy, I, I was going to say in a long time, but really Ever. It also shows an openness that he's willing to be educated. And so I think that statement was, you know, was really very um, um, powerful
6: mm-hmm.
5: and, and, and really touched people. The second statement is in his interview in September. The first question was, who is, who is Pope Francis or who is Cardinal Bergoglio? And he said, the most accurate definition I can give is that I'm a sinner. And again, that statement reveals a humility um, that, that church leaders, uh, well, that we all need to have, but particularly Catholic leaders. I think what we've witnessed over the last 20 to 30 years has been a growing arrogance among church leaders that has really been harmful uh, to the church and and to the, to the world as a whole.
1: Mm-hmm. And it, I think you're absolutely right. And it really feels more today than ever before that the cardinals, especially here in the U.S., are very much out of step with this new pope. Um, based on some of the things that they've said, I think one of the most outrageous things I read recently was about the bishop in Illinois who wanted to have an exorcism ritual following the same-sex marriage decision in that state. Do you see this pope? you know, sort of taking control of some of these outspoken people, cardinals like Timothy Dolan?
5: Well, yes, I do. Uh, I, I, you know, he uh, recently removed uh, an American cardinal who had a position in the Vatican, a very influential position in the Vatican. Uh, He was on the, what's called the Congregation for Bishops, which helps appoint new bishops around the world. And as the American in that congregation, he had a great influence on who was being appointed as bishops in America. Mm -hmm. And he removed this very conservative uh, cardinal and replaced him with someone with a more pastoral approach. And so I think that shows that he's ready to reshape the bishops, the the profile of the bishops here in the Mm -hmm. United States. Because to be honest, I th- you know I, I I haven't seen a lot of Pope Francis like behavior yet from the American bishops. There have been some some toning down. I mean, Archbishop Leon, um in December uh, had you know said that speaking to lesbian and gay people ha- helps to tenderize us. He said, and I thought that was a, a great admission on his part. Um, so there, there are little things here and there, but I think that we, we still have a long way to go.
1: Yeah. Uh, oh, I, I would hope that it tenderizes him given where he's leading the church, you know, in true. San Francisco, yeah. uh, following his major role in the prop eight campaign in California. I, that was such a bizarre appointment to me. Uh, yes. what a bad place for him to be as a, as a human, if that's really the way he feels.
5: Mm-hmm. And that's an example of uh, what, I, what I meant when I said arrogance, that there was an arrogance in that appointment to appoint someone who um, was so opposed to such a uh, large part of a city's population, uh, to appoint him as, uh, as their archbishop really showed an arrogance uh, from the Vatican.
1: Well, let's hope so. Uh, Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about some of the things going on in Uganda and Russia, Nigeria, where there are clearly some direct links to conservative Christian groups here in the U.S. who have been promoting, you know, anti-gay laws and and really some significant human rights or compromise of human rights in these countries. What role do you think Pope Francis will take in responding to, you know, some of these laws— such as the one in Uganda that's putting people, gay people, in prison for life.
5: Mm-hmm. I, I'm hopeful that Pope Francis is going to speak out against these laws, and I'm hopeful for a couple of reasons. Um, one is that, uh, when uh, again, early in when he became Pope, he established what he called the Council of Eight, eight cardinals from around the world, who he wanted to advise him on uh, a variety of church issues. One of those people is Cardinal Oswald Gracias from India. And back uh, in December, when when the Supreme Court in India said it would be okay to recriminalize homosexuality, the only person, the only religious leader, to speak out against that decision, was Cardinal Gracias. Hmm. So, and he he spoke very forcefully that it was uh, a terribly unjust thing to do. So, now this is a man who's one of eight people who have the Pope's ear. So, you know, I think the Pope is already predisposed to to, uh, take, the, take this as an issue of justice but one of his eight advisors i think is going to advise him on that
1: well we can only hope well we've been talking with francis DiBernardo, bernardo the executive director of new ways ministry and if you'd like to learn more about his work we'll have a link on our website at outbeatnews.com francis thanks so much for sharing your thoughts with us tonight
5: thanks greg it's been great to be here
4: he's a guy she's a girl One of billions is different as stars, suns, and swirls. But it doesn't matter who you are, someone defines you from afar and puts you in a box, makes you something you're not. Assumptions, stereotypes, like ropes, traps, tricks, something hard to fix. But listen, when it comes to guys and girls, our assumptions, they stick. She's a girl. She cries too much, lies too much, spends too much time trying to look fine too much. She squeezes herself into dresses, stilettos, stockings, and rings. Who is it for? Herself? Some guy? The girl she hates? The girl she wants to sting? She bites the bait of perfection, believing it's real, and now she feels rejected because she can't live up to society's ideals. Whatever. It seems like everything is for someone else. He's a guy, his box is bigger, not hard to figure since he pumps himself up to make his muscles grow large, his ego's in charge. But what often drives him is fear, fear of rejection, fear of objection, of not fitting in, unable to win, he holds it all in, he controls strong, can't be wrong, even when he is. Words define us, constantly remind us, looking to align us to a picture that may not fit. She's so pretty. Don't stain that dress. He's so gritty. Oh, look at him, such a mess. Boys will be boys. Words they annoy because they are wrong. They don't belong. He's a jerk, idiot, stupid, insensitive. She's so ugly, gross, and way too sensitive. Words are cages, traps, and snares. Beware. You just might buy the lies you must defy. No matter if you're pink or blue, gender doesn't define you. So who are you? 40 trillion cells of human potential perfectly designed for action a full-blown walking chemical reaction you're meant to live, to live to the full till you die and maybe after so don't live a life of stereotypical indecency and don't just get by when you can be the change you wish to see. Eat, dance, sing, jump, roll, win, die, stroll run, lift, hug, grin you are too big for boxes no matter what the talk says. You're free to live beyond the boundaries to go where the heart leads. You're a fiery rocket about to chart its own path into the sorry night, unafraid, unencumbered by small words and small people you're a guy you're a girl as different as stars suns and swirls but be you because that's what's true
1: and that brings us to the end of another hour join me on the fourth sunday of february for the next edition of outbeat news in depth and be sure to tune in next sunday night to outbeat radio for living proof with sheridan gold and dr diana grayer that's at 8 p.m and only here on krcb radio the new 91 In the meantime, have a great week, and thanks for spending your Sunday night with us. Outbeat News In Depth is hosted and produced by Greg Moralia, exclusively for KRCB Radio. You can listen to our shows on demand on iTunes and on our website at OutbeatNews.com. And be sure to follow us all week long on our Facebook page and Twitter feed for the latest LGBT news from here in the North Bay and beyond.